Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 231 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is July 30th, 2012. Got a big show for you this week on the Peristyle Podcast. Got a bunch of questions, and we'd love to hear from you if you do have questions. First way, you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or give us a call, 206 888 6755, leave a brief voice message and we will play it on the podcast. Or you can go to peristylepodcast.com, our website that hosts the Peristyle Podcast. Click on the left side of the page and leave a voice message right from your computer. We got Dan Weber coming up later on the show. We got some USC questions for him and there's some, some Penn State questions too that we got to get to. Also, as always, we love to kick off the show with Coach Harvey Hyde. Right in the very first segment, right out of the gate, we got to go to Coach. What's up, Coach? How are you doing? Oh, everything's going great. I'd say uh, football season is is close by, getting hyped up for it as everyone is. Uh, it's going to be a very challenging uh, season. I enjoyed Pac-12 Media Day, Ryan. I didn't see you there, but I was there sitting by myself where no one bothers me, where I can hear everything <laughs> like I do when I go to the scrimmages. And I enjoyed the whole uh, – day there and also uh, i'm getting ready to get started here and i hope we have some questions that we can answer and uh before long it'll be all here certainly do and one week away from the start of fall camp and i was at pac-12 media day we'll talk with dan weber about that a little bit later on we can get some of your initial thoughts on that too coach right after uh, i want to thank our sponsor southern california tickets you can go to sctickets.com for all your ticketing needs anything you need or call them 1-800-888 7287. Give them a, a try, com. You got USC right in the name. Well, how else could you do better? Um, but, Coach, what did you think about Pac-12 Media Day? I was kind of scrambling around writing stories and stuff, but I, I didn't see you, unfortunately. But what did you think of the whole day? Well, I thought I liked the setting. I think the parking was a little difficult. There's a lot of people there at Universal Studio. But the thing that impressed me was the seating. It was air-conditioned. It was nice inside. There was plenty of fluids and liquids for people to drink. The lunch was great. Uh, The presentations were good. I would have liked to have heard the head coach talk a little bit more when they first came out about their program, what's been going on since the season ended. As far as coaching changes, uh, people who left, uh, red shirts who played well in the spring, how their spring practice went, and then sort of roll into the season, setting everybody up for what where we are today as far as the opening of camp. And I'd like to have heard maybe the players talk a little bit more and have the questions equally uh, distributed among the players. Some questions uh, went to just Matt Barkley or, or, or whomever. Some uh, players that were there, I even wondered why they came. Uh, maybe <laughs> they answered one question. If you know, you were there. You saw that. Yeah. And uh, I, I would think it could be a little bit more uh, organized to a point where it isn't such a rushed event where you have to get done by a certain time. But the head coach has more time as far as talking about his program, coaching changes, the spring, what changes have been made, so that people really have a real uh, focus on, on what they expect this coming year. I agree, and uh, they had no dessert, Coach, which I did not like that. But I did like the setting. It was open space. We were at Fox Lot last year, and it was very cramped as far as the seating, but plenty of space in that auditorium at Gibson Amphitheater at Universal Studios. But there was a lot of Pac-12 network duties that coaches and players had to perform. So we had a hard time grabbing guys, even trying to get – you know, we did stuff for other rivals' networks, um, for other rivals' sites, like trying to grab – Oregon said we couldn't get Mike Riley by himself afterwards. And like, who's talking to Mike Riley? But they, they had a really busy, you know, post, uh, you know, podium time up there, and it was hard to grab people. And it was really only like a half a day, um, you know, basically started in the morning and, and ended just after lunch. You know, I think you could spread it out over a full day. Mike Leach, coach, could have been I, a whole day to himself. He's just so entertaining. 
Um, but yeah, they, they need to do it a little bit better. You look at the SEC, it's three days. They got a golf tournament. You'd like to get, you don't need three days, but maybe more than a half a day would be better. I agree with you 100%. I had the opportunity. When I grabbed all the coaches, Ryan, is when they all came in together and they had the team picture out in front, not the team picture, but the picture of all the coaches and all the players they brought. I had an opportunity to run around and talk to uh, a couple, not all of them, as many as I could at that time. And and uh, otherwise, they had responsibilities as soon as they got off the stage to go somewhere else or somewhere else or somewhere else. So you really didn't have a chance to really – say hi in my case i just want to say hi how things are going how's your dad blah 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 i remember when you were a ball boy you know just have some fun yeah but that wasn't there because the guys tried to jam they they had them scheduled uh, too tightly yeah there was a lot of uh, media obligations and and the pac-12 networks kind of added to the the hustle and bustle i guess you could say they were taking pictures doing all kinds of stuff but eh, whatever we'll see hopefully it'll be a little different next I year agree. Well, let's, I agree. Maybe that's a, why I have a problem getting a uh, credential, huh? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Because uh, well, I just tell you the way I feel, you know? <laughs> no, I love it, Coach. Well, let's get, we got a bunch of questions I wanted to get to. Um, we'll start off with some USC ones, and then we're going to talk about Silas Red, the uh, potential Penn State transfer, which seems to be breaking kind of stuff all the time here. But uh, first up is Ben. Uh, he wanted to know, Kiffin has commented about using more three wide receiver sets in 2012. Am I correct to assume that a third wide receiver would substitute for one of the running backs? How does that work, Coach? Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that you have to get your best talent on the field, utilize your passing game, but I think you should also utilize your other positions you have on the field. I mean, you have some great tight ends. I don't know. They might move a couple of them to the defensive end now. I'm not sure. But uh, I'll tell you, 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 you go from three wides, to three big tight ends in the game that they all can run, and they all, uh, you know, uh, put you at a disadvantage trying to cover them, plus they're great on run blocking. So if you do both, you drag them across the field and run corners and do different things with these guys, with play-action pass off of the set when they're great run blocking, you can cause a lot of problems there too. I don't like to see FC just get in a two-back set on short yardage situations. I think that's... Uh, I just don't like that. And, and and I think that you've got to be able to do it more and believe in it more. And I'd love to have them have a short yardage offense. You know, right now, I don't know what their short yardage offense is, except for maybe blast or power. But I'd like to see them, you know, come in with double tights, uh, uh, not say copying Stanford, but very similar to what Stanford does in short yardage situations. Um, uh, come down, have three or four tight ends in the game, and just say, hey, well, yes, we are coming there. We're definitely coming there. Can you stop us? It's just a challenge. I mean, we're coming there. If you can stop us, that's fine. And then occasionally play action pass out of it or go the opposite way with the same thing. And and I like to see them believe in it because I don't think everything is, you know, is, is not coming off the line blocking. And when you go down to the goal line situation, People are in the gaps, and they're blowing across trying to stop you. So you've got to have a blocking scheme when you're down there on the goal line that stops the penetration, blocking down, kicking out, running through, leading through, hooking if the end comes down, different schemes to to be able to get off the line of scrimmage with your offensive line or block down to take away penetration. And uh, uh, I would like to see them have a goal line or short yardage package that you just believe in. You run about three or four plays off of it. And you just say, here, here I come. Who's the best? Are you going to stop us? Are we going to get our first down or touchdown? And if you start to teach that way and you believe in that type of philosophy, it works. Uh, but if you don't, then it's, uh, it's, it's, I think you're at a disadvantage. I think you've got to really sell that early and believe in it. And when you have the type of tight ends that USC has, wow, I'm going to tell you, that could be awesome. Um. Well, and then we saw towards the end of last year, Coach, that they, they were utilizing the tight ends more. They were running the ball better. But in the beginning of the year, it seemed to be Matt Barkley to Robert Woods, and that kind of leads us to our next question. Uh, Paul E. from Burbank, uh, regarding Robert Woods, are we going to look back and regret how much we used him last year? I am starting to think so. What do you think about that, Coach? Well, I think I was saying that all along. I was not only saying that on this, but I was saying that on some of the shows that I do for ESPN and other shows. 
a kid can only catch so many balls, and, you, you know, he was getting beat to death. I mean, and not only that, he was returning kickoffs. I mean, I think he's a great athlete, and you've got to utilize him, but you can't beat the kid up. Everybody wants to knock him out of the game. So, and when you run that little bubble screen that he caught so many of, he didn't have really anywhere to go because the sideline's there, so everybody took great shots at him. Legal shots, not not, not illegal shots. And after a period of time, they discovered that they had other receivers that if you do spread the love and spread the field a bit, he even becomes a better player. And they discovered Marquise Lee, they discovered the tight end, they discovered that they could run the football, which they didn't believe in running the football. And, you know, I've always said this, I think that records are great, but winning is better. And I think that you have to be able to utilize all your players and what are all these great recruiting classes for. You've got to utilize them. Uh, records uh, are something that, you know, you can't have six touchdown passes in a game. Great, you break a record. But did you get better doing it as a football team? And what you try to do every week is get better. Get better so that when that challenge comes, that you have to win that football game like the Oregon game came, they were prepared. They were prepared. They had their running game. They believed in themselves. And they were able to go into Eugene and win that football game. You know, if the Anthony Thomas doesn't run that kickoff back, it's 31-14, and I was looking at the fans in the stands, hey, man, those guys, a good thing they didn't. They had a weapons uh, search before he went into the stadium because they, they would have killed themselves. They could not believe what they were seeing happening in their stadium. That's true. And, and it started with? with running the football. And I think that's where the first question came from coach is that they're worried, you know, if people are worried about the lack of depth at the running back spot, how does USC move it around that? They put three wide receivers out there. Uh, but, I, but I want people to remember like a guy like some of Anuku. what do you think about someone like him taking some turns and running the football as well? Say, you know, a, a DJ Morgan and a, a Curtis McNeil get banged up. I mean, you might see a guy like, uh, you know, some of Anuku coming in and getting to carry the ball. Like we saw Stanley Avili do a while back. Let me tell you, there aren't many teams in the country that have more running backs than SC has. Now, you're, it's great to have five or six of them, but when you have five or six of them, you really have morale problems. I'll tell you, D.J. Allen right now, or D.J. Morgan right now is a turf toe, but he'll be back ready to play. Uh, D.J.'s a great back out of high school. I mean, everybody in the country wanted this kid. So, you know, you've got to realize what type of player he is, and you've got to challenge him to become that type of player. Curtis McNeil... He's not big, but he's tough. Block for him. Let him fall forward. Let him make those yards. Share the love a little bit with Al. Now, Buck Allen in the spring, I thought, was pretty impressive in the spring game. So give him a lot of reps. Get him ready to go. Show him the confidence you need. And uh, like you said, uh, the big fullback kid impressed me in the spring. Some of a nuclear, Let him yeah. Run a, huh? Some of a nuclear, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you said that for me. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, really, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, it's always great to have five great players, but you don't always have great five great players. So you protect them. Yeah. You, you try, you hope there isn't any injuries that happen. You know, freak things happen. You're going to have injuries. It's like canard, you know, in the weight room, trying to get ready to play. There's his muscle. Uh, you know, those things happen. It's terrible. And then you have some years where you don't have any injuries. So you just hope that that's not a start of something. You just hope that that everybody stays healthy. And if your number's called, you're ready to play. And they, I heard they were going to move Nelson Aguilar to, to run him back. At least that's what he I read. I don't know if it's going to happen. And he's an outstanding player. And who knows what might happen on this red, red kid from uh, Penn State. So things will work out. Yeah, we're going to talk about – we got some questions on Red. We'll t get to in a couple minutes. And uh, Lane Kiffin did say that Nelson Aguilar will play running back. Don't know if that's – I mean, I, I think that's mostly just because of the, the depth situation there, and that could change if a Silas Red ends up coming to USC. But, Coach, I don't know if you got to see some of these summer workout videos, but when you see him playing wide receiver, he just reminds you of a special player like a Marquise Lee or a Robert Woods. It's tough for me to see them – moving him from wide receiver where he's completely awesome. He's just ridiculously good to running back where maybe he's going to be good there as well, but he just looks so good at wide receiver. It's tough to see him move. I agree with that. I didn't, uh, I didn't really like that when they said they were going to move him. I'll tell you, I've seen him 
I saw him in high school where he was a primary running back and receiver. He's a great athlete. A lot of people think he was the best at, he was the best athlete in Florida a year ago that came to USC, a lot of the publications. Uh, and he's the type of kid that will play whatever you ask him to play, which is great. So, yeah, I, I, he, he is a great athlete, and, and uh, he's the type of kid you can redshirt. He's just too good. He's just too good to redshirt. And everybody knows that, but where does he play? Who does he who, – who becomes number three receiver? What happens to Blackwell and Florinor? Florinor I mean, there's so many players out there that at that position that uh, it's puzzling. It, it is. It's tremendous. The, great, the greatest group of receivers in the country. All right. Well, let's go. We're going to move on. Um, there's an interesting question here, Coach. Let's go to uh, Greg. And he was re-watching, which I think a lot of USC fans probably uh, do often, the 50 to nothing beatdown that USC put on UCLA last year. He said, I was watching that game the other night. Noticed on the kickoff, after USC scores the first touchdown, the UCLA kickoff receiver, uh, McDonald, number seven, touches the, the UCLA kickoff receiver, McDonald, number seven, touches the ball while still in bounds on the one-yard line. The ball bounces off his left hand, goes into the end zone where he picks up the ball and takes a knee. The ruling on the field was a touchback. Why is something like that not a safety? That's from Greg. Well, that's a good question. And uh, I have to admit this to everyone. I didn't always know all the rules, but I argued like I did, okay? <laughs> uh, 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 you know, I would get in the official's face and try to, you know, say, wow, can that be? You're wrong, you know, and all the little statements that coaches say. Now, I would think as our, our question, as the question was presented, I would say, hey, you touched the ball when in the end zone. you got to run it out. And I probably said that when I saw it. Did I ever ask an official about it? No. Uh, but maybe we can check and find out exactly what the ruling is on that and find out why, because I'm really interested to know that, and I think that's a good question. I think Myself? I've... Huh? Oh, I, I think it has to do with actually controlling the ball. Like if, you just, if it just touches you, like on a punt, it's different. When it touches you, it's a live ball. This is already a live ball. I think if someone touches it and it squirts into the end zone, if they catch it, and then it goes in the end zone, that's one thing. But if it just touches them, I believe that's what the rule is. That you didn't have control, and you can still take a knee uh, in the end zone. There seems to be a little more wiggle room when you're talking about a kickoff than, than something on a punt. That's at least my understanding, yeah. but we can kind of look that up, too. I, I wasn't sure in your, you know, your coaching years if you, if you came across that rule before, but I love to hear the fact that you, if you didn't know the rule, you argued about it anyway. I argued about it anyway because he went against me, see. But if it had gone for me, I said, good call, good call, good call. You know the book. You know the book. But, uh, you know, I don't know that. But, see, you know, if that ball would have been recovered, it would have been the, the kickoff team's ball. So, yeah. I don't know. It's it funny, like, touched, when it was... the ball goes into, like, the end zone and they, they kind of blow it dead a lot of times. Like, in high school, if it just crosses the, the, the goal line, then it's over. But in college, it, there definitely seems to be opportunity or times when they just kind of let the ball go and it goes out the back and the, 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 the sprint team coming down is trying to, to pick the ball up and they just kind of whistle it dead. It, I, I'm not sure exactly what it is. Probably, though, if he touched it, it goes into the end zone and the, the offensive team recovers it, just like normally would, the, offensive, I mean, the, the kicking team would get a touchdown on that. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it's a, we'll try to check on that. But I do think if – you can still down it unless you've controlled it outside of the goal line. If you've made some kind of play on the ball and you've controlled it, and then you go back in the end zone, that would be a safety, from my understanding, but we can double-check for you. Yeah, I'd like to find that. I wish I had this question last week because I was talking with Tony Carreni, who's the coordinator of officials for the Pac-12, and I would have just flat asked him, you know, uh, what that rule was. But uh, we'll try to find out for you. At least Ryan will try to find out for try, you. Yeah. He has all those contacts with the officials. The officials won't talk to me. Uh, one last thing before we get to the we'll – we'll finish off with Silas Red. Yeah, they, you still have that bad blood there, Coach. Um, Rich, class of 68 from Bishop. Uh, he's like a fan of the podcast, but he's also an island dweller. Uh, he is in a small island in the eastern high Sierra. I'm curious how Coach Harvey Hyde commutes. Do you have a, your own boat? And if you so, do you fish? Does the big white steamer still run? Thanks and fight on from Rich. No, the big white steamer is retired. It's in some harbor half-sunk in Mexico. I don't know exactly 
which port it is in, but occasionally in the Islander newspaper in Catalina, they, they show pictures of it. And everybody remembers it and so on. Uh, no, I don't have my own boat. Uh, Catalina is absolutely fantastic. I just returned last night from there. And uh, I've been going there for a long period of time. And as you say, uh, uh, once you get used to uh, uh, a place, you don't need to go far if you have an enjoyable time. And I like it there because I'm still able to get back here right away. I'll go to Vegas tomorrow. I'll come back. I could be back to Catalina if I need to or L.A. or practice. And uh, that's an easy trip. I'll go over there on Thanksgiving weekend. But I'll be back for the Notre Dame game in plenty of time. So it's a, it's an easy commute, yet it's a beautiful place to be, and that's why I go there. All right. Um, what is the big white steamer? Was that like an old boat that used to go to Catalina? Yeah, big steamer that everybody – it was a way to get to Catalina in the old days. Okay. Everybody would get on. It took about two hours, two, maybe two and a half hours. And when you docked, it, people, the kids would die for coins, and you'd throw it out, and there was a band on the boat. And oh, wow. It, it, was, it was really uh, – it was like a cruise ship, a miniature cruise ship, okay? And it was the thing to do. And uh, now you get over there in an hour and ten minutes. So yeah, uh, it, it's just beautiful. You've been over there. It's just a, a quick trip. But in those days, it was a romantic island of romance. Might still be, I don't know. And uh, <laughs> where people went, got married, uh, honeymooned, you know, the whole package. Right. Okay. Uh, well, movie stars used to hang out there. All exactly. The time. Yeah. They still do. Let me tell you something weird that happened there last week. Katy Perry's a big, big, big thing now in the music world. Right. She showed up over there, went in the El Galleon restaurant where they have karaoke, and got up on the stage and sang. That's pretty impressive. That is absolutely could not believe what was going on, and it's a true fact. So, you know. Uh, She's a good girl, and to do that in public like that is something special. So that's the place. That's what makes the place. It's special. All right. Uh, well, the last topic, Coach. We have a couple questions on this. Uh, Silas read that the junior, true junior from Penn State. Um, a lot of talk about him transferring out. He's still on campus as we're recording this right now. He arrived on Saturday, taking his official visit. Um, so he was, you know, paid for a flight out here from USC. His family came out on their own dime. So he's out here visiting. We have some interesting questions about it. Um, two of the things, one is Paul from Burbank. He said, I don't like the the idea of entertaining Silas Red at all. Chemistry, chemistry, chemistry. We came in relying on Curtis and DJ. We should stay with that. We don't need outsiders. And then West had a, a similar take. He said, this is my two cents, but I don't like the Silas Red move at all. If USC does have a great season, it'll be all about Joe Paterno. The story is awful. Put an asterisk on the season in USC. Coaches didn't think this one through. They're focused on winning, but this was this was one story USC would have done itself a favor by steering clear of. My alumni vote is no way. So a couple interesting takes. Most people seem to want to bring Silas Red on to the program, but at least a few people don't really think it's a good idea. What do you think? Well, let me tell you. First of all, you got to keep the emotion that thing out of it about Joe Paterno, this, that, whatever. You got to do. He said it's about winning, and this is what it's about winning. Can you get better with Silas Red? Yes, you can get better. Can you take the stress off of Nelson Aguilar and he can stay at receiver? If one of the backs get hurt, uh, now you have someone there else ready to play. Does it hurt the freshman recruits that you have, Ty Isaac and uh, Justin Davis? I wouldn't think so. The reason why I say that, I really believe if he comes, he's a one-year shot. He'll come in one year, and he'll be out of there the next year, and he'll be in the NFL. He rushed for 1,241 yards at Penn State. He's a north-south runner. SC needs a north-south runner. I think you become a better football team. I think the football team would embrace him. Uh, you know, competition is what competition is all about. Him even coming to USC, he has to think about, first of all, what it means to him, and look at what he's doing to go to USC. He's leaving Penn State where they're making all this commitment as far as stay together, we're going to play together, we're Penn Staters, and all this and that, which is true. But let's evaluate Penn State. Their offensive line is going to be average. They lost most of their offensive line. He wants to get into the NFL. So he comes to USC where they have an outstanding team, chance to win a national championship and a returning offensive line. 
he's got to look at himself as far as uh, what the what the uh, what the morale is going to be uh, at uh, Penn State and and yes they they might win some games this year but I'm going to tell you in about three years they're going to be three and eight they're going to be this and that people don't believe that but you know you can go along with all that emotion and talk about they were staters and we're going to do this and we're going to do that but it doesn't happen that's all a, that's all a marketing tool right now okay so you know myself. I wouldn't want to lose him if I was Bill O'Brien. I wouldn't want to lose him at all. I'd talk to him, but I wouldn't stand in his way either because if he comes to Penn State, what if he gets injured there and you stopped him from going to USC or continuing his career? It's got to be his decision. And his teammates can't put pressure on him either. So, you know, SC's been in that boat. They know exactly what is right. How many people came to SC's defense? How many people stood up and said, we're not going to recruit any players from USC? Man, no one. Yeah. How many people stood up and said they were penalized too harshly? No one, hardly, okay? So if this is a way for USC to win, win a national championship, and make their team better, so be it. And uh, they know what's best. The, uh, on the chemistry issue, Paul uh, from Burbank was asking, um, I talked to Max Wittick uh, almost a week ago, and, yeah, he, he, they played Pop Warner football together. And he said he would come in and fit in right away. He's just the kind of guy that he knows he would get along with everyone. And it just, he said it would work out great. He's like, he's, chemistry-wise, it wouldn't be a problem at all. So there's that. And for West, uh, I know your alumni vote is no, but alumni don't get a vote in these kind of situations, unfortunately. So sorry. That woke up. We in the media don't get a vote. It doesn't matter. It's really up to what Lane Kiffin wants to do. He's running the show. And I don't think you can, if he's making a call, He's made some really tough calls over the past two years where no one's had to deal with these kind of sanctions before. Obviously, he's pulled the right levers. He's pushed the right buttons. He's doing things that no one really thought he could do where you're in the middle of the sanctions, not only surviving, but thriving and got a shot at a national championship 10 men down. So not saying you can't question everything he's doing, but I do think if you're a big fan of this team, you should probably, I think he's earned at least the benefit of the doubt at this point because he's going through uncharted waters and navigating them beautifully so far. If he feels that Silas Red could come in and, and and help the situation, I think you kind of give him the benefit of the doubt that he knows what he's talking about. And I agree. And I think that's true. The, he, he's going to do what's best for the program. He's going to do what's not good for the program. If they feel that he will help them win and uh, be a part of the team, I think the team will rally around their decision. Because the team wants to win, and they know what they have to do. So uh, I agree. I understand what the, uh, what what he is saying, as far as you know. Let's leave it alone and do it with us, and have our loyalties and so on. But I used to always tell my players, if you allow somebody to come in and beat you out, and you've been here three years, four years, and I said, and I can go out and recruit somebody I, every day, I go out to try to find a better player than you, because that means we're getting better. Now, you're here. If this kid can come in and camp and learn our playbook and beat you out, then it's your fault, and we're a better football team. And now these kids have a jump on this kid, and will this kid have 1,241 yards? Probably not. But the kid will make USC a better football team, enhance his NFL career, and uh, move on. Now, is he coming? I have no idea if he's coming. If he decides not to come, then that's what he decides to do, and he does not come. But at least he has that opportunity to look at USC and decide. I would even look at Jordan Hill, their defensive end. SC just lost a defensive end. They've got a defensive end back there. In some uh, publication, he's, they've got him preseason all Big Ten, second team all Big Ten, 6'2", 280, 90 pounds, Probably a pretty good football player. So when you look at me and ask me that question, I have an obligation to win. I have an obligation as a head football coach to get the best players I can. And it's within the structure of the NCAA rules. So now when I look at Silas Red, I look at Jordan Hill, the defensive end there at Penn State too. And, and Coach, I want to make one other clarification too. I don't think you bring in a Silas Red and you make a championship run. It's going to be about Penn State and Joe Paterno. I just, there's too many storylines. USC is a bigger program than Penn State right now. 
you, it, it, unless Silas Red runs for like 2,000 yards and, and, and goes absolutely crazy, it's not going to be about him. I mean, the, it's going to be about Matt Barkley making a run at the Heisman. It's going to be about Marquise Lee coming on strong. I think he's going to have an absolutely monster year. Probably going to be about how this defense gets better. Um, I, there's going to be a lot of different storylines. I don't think Silas Red will be a piece. It wouldn't like Silas Red would come on and be Reggie Bush and dominate everything. I, I just don't see that happening. So I, I don't think that the whole story is going to be about, well, USC is only good because they got Silas Red. It, it's just, I, I just don't think it could be further from the truth. I agree 100% because he's got to come in. First of all, no one's told him he's a starting tailback. He's got to come in and earn that. I would say right now he wouldn't start the first game. No, certainly. Uh, and he'd probably be two or three on the depth chart. Him and D.J. Morgan would alternate. So that's some of the things he has to understand, too, when he comes to USC so he doesn't under, get misled. So, you know, how can it hurt you? Right. Well, along yeah, along the lines, when we just keep checking with uscfootball.com, we will be getting all kinds of updates of what's going on. Check the peristyle, drop a little tidbits of information on what's going on with Silas Red as he finishes up his visit at USC. And, uh, Coach, thanks again for coming on the show. It's always fun chatting football with you next week fall camp starts so we'll get to do a little preview of what you expect to see uh the few weeks of fall camp leading up to the season and the first kickoff can you believe it i can't believe it i really can't believe it but it's going to be a great season and it's going to be a very challenging season for usc uh, i was in i'm impressed with washington more and after the media day the number one team that impressed me the most by listening to the players I mean, not just SC and others and so on, but to listen to the players and the philosophy of the coaches, Utah has a real confidence feeling on the stage. It really, They really have a confident feeling. When you talk to the players, and I hear Kyle Whittingham talk about his team. Now, USC has to go to Utah. And I, I'm telling you, they didn't just blow them out last year either. So that is now one of the games that is going to be another difficult game on USC's schedule. I really was impressed with his presentation. Yeah, I was too, Coach. That's a big one. That's the one people ask me about games that are you know you that USC should be concerned about. I think I forgot to mention that a few times. That is certainly going to be a tough one going to Utah. But all right, Coach. Thanks again. Thanks to our sponsor, Southern California Tickets, and everyone else. We'll be back in thirty seconds talking with USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We're back here on the Peristyle Podcast, joined by uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber, who was at Pac-12 Media Day along with the rest of the uscfootball.com staff. What's going on, Dan? How's it going? Hey, uh, I'm... Kind of working on a piece. I, I sat. I let it. I, I kind of held on to it for about five or six days, sitting next to Larry Scott, and talking to him about what it's like to be the commissioner of the Pac-12 with USC backs, because he's never had that situation. Heck, he's never had a situation where USC could even go to a bowl game. <laughs> I think people might be a little surprised. I tried three or four different ways to, to get him to open up about uh, how he feels about USC and the Pac-12. And I think people will find it a little interesting <laughs> as to how Larry looks at things. Now, we never got a picture of Larry Scott with the three USC representatives there, Lane Kiffin, uh, TJ McDonald, and Matt Barkley, who he, he reprimanded all of them. <laughs> See, the, uh, Larry never even talked about them. You had to really push Larry to even go there. Larry doesn't go there. And one of the things that brought it up was watching another Pac-12 network video that looked like it could have been a recruiting video for Oregon or Stanford. 
And uh, was that little was that USC? I, I think I saw him in there. I, I'm not sure. You know, that's like the third one, and you keep thinking, okay, three times, probably not a coincidence, not just bad luck, not just you know, but uh, there there is an actual specific uh, issue that Larry has with USC and the Pac-10, the Pac-12 now, uh, that people, I think, will find interesting. So, uh, so we'll, we'll look for that. We have that, for, uh, have that later today uh, okay. as to how Larry, uh, how Larry looks at, uh, at USC and the rest of the Pac. Well, it's, it's been a crazy week. There's, I mean, every week this summer seems to be crazy. There's always stuff going on. There's a lot of recruiting stuff. We did skip the recruiting podcast last week, but we'll bring it back again this week and of course fall camp starts next week but maybe get a few of your thoughts from what went down on Pac-12 Media Day. Well, it was interesting. Uh, I thought Lane, <laughs> Lane is so good at what he does. He was the only, for example, coach of the Pac-12 that figured out a way to mention recruiting. And Lane, I think the thing we always thought about Lane was no one understands how recruiting really works with your entire program and that you can't separate it even a little bit from the direction of the program and that it's something you're always thinking about and always doing, but doing it in the context of this is how we do our program. And I think uh, it was interesting. He, he was ready. He had his pitch that clearly, you know, you could interpret as, you know, when he when you're talking about lack of depth at running back, uh, you don't have to name any names. But uh, you know, it was very clear, and he's the only coach that, that was able to incorporate recruiting into his basic, uh, you know, talk about how this is what our program is. This is who we are. This is how we do it. I mean, some of the coaches essentially didn't even want to talk about, uh, you know, even have an opening statement. They basically just said, you know, go ahead and ask me some questions. Whereas Lane's got an opening statement that, you know, hits every single, uh, you know, base. And uh, there, there's a reason he is where he is and he's doing what he's doing. It's, it's, not, it's not good luck and it's not an accident. It certainly is not. And uh, he just keeps – impressing us i guess if you, you watch him what he's working and the kind of how his hands have been tied behind his back he doesn't seem to just keep going forward and there's a lot to prove this season of course uh but we'll have to see what happens there um i th- think the general thrust and this is probably a good thing for guys our guys on the p and uscfootball.com to understand is what lane has done he's taken every negative that's come his way and turned it into a positive. It's kind of amazing. And it, it is probably instructive for some of, you know, as, as much as we love all the, the new posters and the multi-posters and uh, all of the other things, you probably, if you look at Wayne, you don't spend a lot of time saying, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, oh, my God, what are we going to do now? Uh, that isn't what Lane's done. I mean, stuff has happened that he wasn't expecting, that nobody was expecting, and he figured out how to turn it into uh, into a positive. But uh, last week, you know, um, D.J. Morgan, we find out, stubbed his toe at the Coliseum, got, you know, turf toed uh, and is in a boot. And there's all kinds of posts of people saying we have to change all the way we're recruiting or we got to do this or we got to do that. And you just think, come on, guys, get a grip. You can handle it. It'll, it'll be okay, because that's basically how, you know, how this program has handled it. They figured out a way to make it okay. And the Devon, you know, Canard situation, you know, and not to say, I mean, he's probably one of the absolute greatest kids, you know, in this program, and that you're ever going to see, but. It's not the end of the world, and there are probably ways in which USC may uh, face, you know, the loss of Devon for however long that is, and to try to diagnose those things before they've even gone in for surgery is, is really a little premature. But there may be ways that this works 
as a positive, that more guys get involved sooner and that by the end of the year they're stronger at that, you know, at that position uh, than they would have been. So, uh, you know, I, I, I would think at this point in time you basically kind of look at these things and say, how are they going to turn this into an advantage here? And probably a good chance that they will. He's doing whatever he can. Uh, well, you touched on um, the Devon Kennard situation. He tore pectoral muscle, is scheduled for surgery this morning or today, uh, Monday. Um, it's interesting to see. I mean, I, I talk a lot about Kevin Green. Um, he's been in the program a long time, hasn't played football all that much. People talk about Morgan Breslin, the transfer in, or, or Leonard Williams, the, the true freshman. Um, what do you think is going to happen there at the uh, defensive end position? Well, I mean, I think it's a, it's a perfect chance to get USC into the rota- you know, the really uh, strong rotation where they really want to – I mean, they really did admire how much more, for example, Oregon got out of their talent on defense by playing 25 guys basically every game and uh, extending, uh, you know, the talent. Now, USC has a whole lot more talent in a lot of ways, or certainly than, than that Oregon team did, you know, starting a couple of years ago when they started doing it. And uh, so I think the blend of, if you look at, uh, you know, Leonard Williams, the freshman, and Greg Townsend, junior redshirt freshman, and uh, Morgan Breslin with the speed that he's got, even though, you know, he hasn't played against competition at all like this, a real hard worker, serious kid, and then Kevin Green, who there may not be a more, you know, physically talented in terms of, you know, speed and strength and a, you know, serious hard worker or just hasn't had a chance to play a whole lot of football started late in high school. But that's four right there. And that we're not even talking about Christian Thomas yet or Junior Pomay, both of whom at one time or another were, you know, tight ends, physically very gifted tight ends who were considered as possibilities on defense. So, that's six right there. And, you know, that's what good teams do. You don't necessarily and, – and, and so many people say, oh, my gosh, this is where that, that uh, depth thing is really going to catch us. Look at With 75 scholarships, you weren't going to be replacing, uh, let's say, a, a, an injured veteran senior who goes down is not going to be replaced by someone from scholarship number 76 through 85. So uh, the whole depth issue and the sanctions issue and the limitations and all that doesn't really apply. And, and people, I don't think, you know, should say that. They've got, they've got a lot of good, you know, athletes who are going to get a chance quicker. And uh, I do think Devon clearly wants to come back, even if it's for the final three or four games or if it's the final couple of games in the regular season, really obviously big, big, big games, and then another you know, break until a bowl game. Uh, if he could get three or four games at the end of the year to showcase himself for the NFL to say, look, I'm back, I'm fine, I'm healthy, I'm, I think that's what he would do. That's what USC would like to do. And uh, you know, by that time, let's you know, hope that – most of those other kids have had a you know a chance to also work their way in. So uh, uh, I'm not sure you, you know you you go all negative about you know the, the thing to think about. I think with Devon is you just really wish the best. What a wonderful kid, great athlete, uh, great student, really athletic kid. He's worked real hard. He's had you know he made the switch to middle linebacker, then he had to come back. Uh, got you know his head three kind of major injuries and uh, hasn't had a, you know, any real, you know, real good breaks as far as being at USC and had an injury in high school. So uh, he's not been a real, real lucky, lucky kid. And we just, you know, hope the best for him uh, this year and that when he's ready to come back, uh, they're able to just, you know, bring him back, you know, just enough to really allow him to show that, uh, you know, he's completely healed. Um, well, we do have some more uh, Penn State talk to get to, some questions. And, and the, the initial article you wrote about a week ago, uh, kind of calling out the NCAA, here's a caller. I think you probably just addressed this real quick, but this caller seemed to think that you were taking a shot at Duke lacrosse when I do definitely do not think that's what you're doing. Here's the uh, question. Um, huge fan of the show. 
Uh, I just want to let you know, uh, Dan Weber, I just read their last article at Penn State. Uh, you might want to get your facts right about the Duke lacrosse team. They were not guilty. There was nothing guilty about it. Um, you shouldn't be smearing people's, you know, reputations in the mud and nothing happened. Um, I'm a huge fan of the show. Fight on uh, forever a Trojan. Come on, Dan, show some class. <laughs> I thought that was kind of okay, funny. I'm, but... I'm going to try not to be mean here. <laughs> I already addressed this uh, on the P, but clearly the point of bringing Duke lacrosse in was that they were innocent. And look what happened. Had, had a body like the NCA jumped in. I mean, the uh, district attorney in Durham, North Carolina, was using them to win an election. The faculty at Duke, 88 members, signed a petition that these privileged kids, you know, were guilty of, uh, you know, rape and what the, that's, you know, and everybody, is a, you know, they were running public opinion and trying to bury those kids on that Duke lacrosse team who were innocent. And that was the point. I don't want to see the NCA, you know, get all ginned up like they did in the USC case by public opinion and by journalists who have no idea what they were doing or in the Duke lacrosse case. That was the point. Uh, maybe someone missed the point, which was <laughs> we do not want the NCAA to jump in where it really doesn't have jurisdiction into civil matters that are being handled civilly and legally and in court just because they think they're going to get ahead of the parade and look, real, look like big shots. What if they'd have jumped into the Duke lacrosse case and thrown down all these kinds of penalties? Now, obviously, Duke is one of their favorites, so uh, they would have had a, had a harder time doing that. But that's the point. I don't want the – they're not geared to do this. They didn't do an, an investigation in the NCAA or in the uh, Penn State case. They just jumped, piggybacked onto the free report and what they, what they were able to pick up from the Sandusky trial. Well, what if, uh, you know, finally the truth came out in the Duke lacrosse case? But what if it wouldn't have come out quick enough for the NCAA to have been stampeded in there and handed out some terrible penalties? That's the point. They were innocent. That's why we cited the Duke lacrosse yes. case. We do not want the NCAA going into places where it just delegates that it has authority to go, where it doesn't. So reread it, <laughs> take a deep breath, think about it before you throw out those kinds of charges. Hey, maybe uh, there's a job for you at the NCAA. <laughs> Ouch, Dan. Okay. Well, there, come on. I, I know. That's awesome. Though. That's ah! <laughs> you know, right. it's it's funny. People go to headlines sometimes. They, they assume they know what the article means or they read part of it or they read a sentence and don't continue on and then you know it, then they jump to conclusions or someone tells them on facebook hey this this company's doing this or something you know and and people just run with it and they have no idea and then they read it and they're like oh wait yeah, there was there, there was contact because basically you know you can have situations where there are real tragedies and somebody's at fault and then there are other situations where somebody's not at fault the common bond there was people are getting you know publicly outraged about something that has some uh, uh, connection to college sports. And do we want the NCAA jumping in wherever there's enough public outrage about something? I mean, they've proven they have no ability to do fair investigations or do competent invest investigations or do honest investigations. Essentially, as they proved in the Penn State case, in their negotiations with Penn State, They've already decided on a verdict. They, you know, evidently, according to the president of Penn State, they told him, if you don't take this, uh, you don't sign a consent degree and agree to our penalties here, we'll have a trial, we'll do an investigation, and then we'll give you the four years, a four-year death penalty. Hello? How do you do that? How do you come up with a penalty that you threaten Penn State with 
before you've had your investigation. What world is that? That's not America. <laughs> where, where is that there? But that's what the NCAA did. We do not want, I don't think, anything like that getting into any of these areas. We, tell the, we want the NCAA to stay out. I agree. All right. Well, let's go to. We had a couple of questions on this. There's a lot of Penn State talk, and if you've read the, if you've read the Peristyle or my Twitter feed at Inside Troy, I get a lot of scholarship questions and and things come up. And and you know, just to, to reiterate, USC hasn't played a single game under scholarship sanctions. Uh, you know, 25. I mean, from 25 to 15, we saw that of the last signing day, but not the 75 limit playing on the field with only 75 players. Scholarship players as opposed to 85. So it's going to be the first game against Hawaii. So you will see for the very first time USC play with only 75 instead of 85. Uh, and Penn State still got a couple years before they see their their limits down to 65. But we're getting a lot of questions on the differences. And for the most part, everything that happens with Penn State is worse, except in this one instance. And Terrian has a question on it, Dan. We can talk about it. He okay. says, unlike our sanctions... All current Penn State players, freshmen through seniors, can transfer and play immediately. Do either of you know if they can transfer any time over their careers, or do they have an expiration date to make their decision? There's an expiration date uh, more than a year away. It's sometime in 2013. I think it's right before uh, like camp or something in 2013. I think next yeah. camp. So they think they have all of this year and into next uh, – August, September area, something like that. Probably next September, I think, is the date. But, yeah, it's a it, – but, you know, it actually is specified. The thing – I think one of the things that bothered Lane so much was they never really specified that in the USC case. That was, it was kind of the first time they, they'd done it the way they did it with USC. I mean, we had these scenarios where – uh, a team on the you know on the uh, quarter system that didn't start their um, you know semester or quarter excuse me until October sometime that a kid could be at USC one you know one day and transfer to the team USC was playing the next and the NC didn't have any real rules about that so that was one of the things I think that really made the the USC staff unhappy about the lack of specificity in in terms of when uh, when kids could transfer and when they couldn't. So at least they made that more specific in terms of the Penn State case. Although, you know, they can transfer, you know, they can transfer, uh, you know, for a year. Yeah, oh, they I'm can sorry. transfer for a year. And uh, But there are – the rules are written now more, uh, more specifically. The, the killer, I think, for Penn State is that they're allowed to transfer within the Big Ten Conference. That was a, a gigantic uh, – that was the best thing that Pac-10 or Pac-12 has ever done for USC is that rule that you can't transfer within the conference. It would have been uh, a much more difficult thing, I think, for USC uh, if kids could have transferred within the conference, and it's going to be a difficult thing for Penn State. And it's kind of amazing when you see that Illinois shows up on campus with a half a dozen coaches. That would make it really tough if I'm Penn State to continue my relationship, I think, with the Big Big Ten. Uh, but, uh, but that's another big difference. But that wasn't an NCAA ruling. That was a, a Pac-12 that has gone back, you know, for years that uh, you can't transfer within the conference without another, uh, another year of ineligibility. The, and the other aspect of that, too. So it, for USC players, just to make it clear, Terry, and uh, there was no specification. So a junior could have transferred halfway through his – senior year and it, it would have been okay but for the Penn State players even the freshmen they really only have a year to decide so even though you know when when they're a junior they can't decide I'm going to transfer at this point but for this year what the 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 special stipulation is that if you do want to transfer to another program this year and still be able to play you can do that until you play in a game so you can go through Penn State camp and if you don't like it or something happens or whatever then you can transfer at that point uh, and be eligible right away. I mean, there's still like the academic side. You have to worry about all that stuff. But um, until yeah, you play One it, of the scenarios is that uh, in game one, every player dressed will play. The Penn State will clear the bench. Yeah, very well could. The, the, that's, 
one of the absolute theories is if you dress that first game, you're playing because they're not they're not dressing you and then letting you decide. Oh, I didn't get enough playing time. You know, I didn't get any playing time in game one. I'm out of here. Uh, that's not going to happen. I think if if you're if you're ready to go, you're going to get in that game. Um, well, let's go to Don Q and Escondido, and this is kind of a, it's not. I mean, it's similar. Where there's a lot of scholarship talk, and there's a lot of different rules. And Dan and I were discussing this actually before the podcast. Uh, but uh, Don wants to know: Penn State scholarship reduction penalty includes a stipulation that they can remain at their limit of 65 if necessary by giving scholarships to walk-on players already on the team. Do you know if USC's limit of 75 scholarships includes this similar provision? And he he quotes uh, uh, one of the it's one of the rules, and it it cites one of the NCAA bylaws. And we did a little bit of research on this and. Uh, Dan, we can I, we, you can start off. We can both kind of explain yeah. this. Well, I guess that was another example of what the NCAA did evidently go to school when USC kept asking them questions about, well, what's allowed, what's not allowed, blah, 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 because they didn't bother to write those things down when they penalized USC. They just sort of, you know, it was, um, you know, you were trying to figure out what exactly did Paul D. say in the press conference. Uh, so the uh, – uh, the, the one uh, qualification that Ryan uh, uh, came up with on that rule is that those walk-ons that are in the program have to have been in the, uh, in, the, in school two academic years. So, uh, but it, what it does is it makes a kid like um, uh, Ryan Dillard, the Atlanta freshman from Atlanta defensive back, who honestly, I mean, from what we have seen, as good as all of these, you know, defensive backs USC is recruiting, they're not recruiting anybody any better than Ryan Dillard. And one would think that, uh, you know, Ryan Dillard will have a scholarship waiting for him, uh, you know, when uh, when that time comes. And that uh, and that makes, uh, you know, being able to, you know, have a, a kid like that walk on on his own, pay his way. Are, it's really, really important. Now, there may not be a whole lot of slots next year, but the year after, one would think that that will be the way that uh, you're able to keep and say, well, we have 75 scholarship players because the the limitation of only 15 new grants, and the same thing at Penn State, that taking it all the way down to 15, which is kind of interesting that they took USC to 15 and then for a much more egregious, you know, violation that the NCAA determined they had to emerge, you know, have sort of an emergency, you know, uh, semi-death penalty on Penn State, they still couldn't make themselves go any lower than 15 a year. So the 15 against USC was just ridiculously overdone. But uh, uh, and it was designed almost to put you below uh, the scholarship limitation. So it was a second uh, penalty. And so the way they allow themselves to say, but, oh, you can have enough bodies, you just give some to walk-ons. Luckily for USC, that's what they've always done. And when you say, for example, USC has to go to 75, they've not been very much over 80 for most of the years that Pete was here. And uh, certainly, you know, not the last couple of years. Uh, They've been going with, you know, a fairly lean, uh, you know, roster. Uh, So, it's not it's not as big an adjustment for USC. I don't know if somebody saw if you saw the scholarship numbers, uh, excuse me, the rankings numbers and rival comparing USC's last four classes with Alabama's and where they've basically shared. I think in the last nine years, USC's had four top recruiting classes and rivals. Uh, Alabama's had four, and I think maybe Florida had one. But in order for Alabama, and I didn't do all the math. But in order for Alabama to basically have the same number of points USC has, they recruited like 25 more players <laughs> in four in years. Scholarship, yeah. like 20 or 25 more players. Uh, so USC hasn't been over scholarshiping uh, over the years. So USC's not in the habit of needing all those extra bodies. That it would be a much more significant. I mean, if you put an SEC school on a 15 scholarship limitation. It would be a unbelievably unmanageable penalty, I think, for them. USC, at least, is probably the school in the country that has the best chance 
of handling uh, a 15, but probably still will have to elevate uh, a kid like a Ryan Dillard uh, in another year or so. Um, the one I just want to clarify this a little bit, and I know there's confusion on both sides a lot of times, but when you're talking about the two-year thing that Dan mentioned, each player can count as an initial counter and a, a total counter. The initial count, USC's down to 15 from 25, and the total from is 75 from 85. So a guy like Ryan Dillard who comes in, say USC wanted to give him a scholarship next year, he'd only been in the program one year as a, as a walk-on and a non-recruited walk-on. That makes a difference, too. Uh, there's all these different clarifications. So a non-recruited right. walk-on, meaning he wasn't, he didn't take an official visit, wasn't given a, a national letter of intent to sign, things like that. So USC didn't recruit him, quote-unquote. I mean, you can make phone calls and things like that, but not do what a lot of the official visit stuff goes on. Uh, if he gets a scholarship after one year, he still has to count as an initial counter. Initial. So he'll count as a, against the 15 one of those years that he came in, uh, which is what you're trying to avoid. So in a case like his... Um, and any of the other you know, walk-ons that are coming in, once they're in the program for two years, they're non-recruited. Uh, they can get all kinds of you know, uh, academic aid and need-based aid, but they can't get any athletic aid. So they're non-recruited. They got this need-based aid. So they can you know, do okay for two years, getting as much financial aid as you possibly can. Then three, you know, in the third year, when USC comes off of the sanctions, they'll have 10 extra scholarships to hand out. Those guys would be prime candidates to get one of those scholarships because they've been in the program two years. They will not be an initial counter at all. They would just count towards the overall number, which is now bumped up to 85. And it won't hurt USC bringing in uh, new commits from from that group because they won't be counted as that initial counter. And it, it's the exact That'll be same. an interesting uh, newsworthy year because uh, potentially now the way USC doesn't run kids off and all of that kind of thing. Not it, not you know, by the boxcar full or anything, but they'll be able to offer 25 new scholarships and uh, elevate some of the walk-ons who really prove themselves. So uh, that'll be an interesting uh, dynamic. I, I'm not sure after going through a few, uh, you know, limited numbers years, it'll be interesting to see what the heck do they do with <laughs> when they've got 25 scholarships and maybe a kid or two like Ryan Dillard that also can get a scholarship, uh, man, there won't be enough days in the week for Gerard to, uh, chronicle that. <laughs> it is, it gets to be a little confusing. Um, and you know, there's a lot of different rules here. Uh, but I, I think, you know, link, if it's not going to say what his plan is, but it does seem like bringing in some higher profile, quote unquote, walk-ons this year, it really sets them up to help, uh, you know, in two years when they go back up to 85, it's hard to get up there right away, but you know you have a few really good walk-ons that by that point could be contributing. You know, members of the team, um, you know, and, and they could get a scholarship. What it really hurts, and Dan and I talked about this in the you know uh, off the record. I mean, before the podcast came on, and Michael Lev did a, a a good little piece on. You know, he talked to one of the walk-ons that currently has a scholarship that was willing to give up that scholarship, even though it would be devastating. Um, I mean, those are the kind of guys these scholarships are hurting. And, you know, Dan talked about they never really over-scholarshiped anyone, only about 80 players. But they did have room to give deserving walk-ons a scholarship. A Cal Negretti would normally have a scholarship, but because of the NCAA sanctions, he doesn't. And, it, you know, that's terrible. And maybe a guy like a Will Andrew or a Tony Burnett who came over from the track team, you know, loses their scholarship and they would have had, you know, they would have had under normal times, but because of the sanctions, those are really the kind of people that are getting hurt. It's not about, you know, keeping this program down or trying to, you know, limit, re you know, recruiting. They're still able to recruit. Lane Kiffin's proving that the guys getting hurt are the, are the guys that really should be getting a benefit out of, of working hard. These are the walk-on guys. And it's the essence of uh, uh, Joe Shell's, you know, IRS challenge to the NCAA that, you know, they basically, uh, when they do something like this, uh, they're working against their charter, against their mission statement uh, that they submitted to the IRS to be tax exempt, which said that their, you know, number one goal is to promote, uh, you know, the welfare of student athletes. And Joe's challenge, and he's had some a uh, number of back and forth with the IRS over 
uh, his challenge to the NCAA, and it is proceeding, is the challenge is how can an organization that says it's, uh, you know, structured essentially to benefit uh, and for the welfare of student athletes uh, that takes away scholarships from completely innocent, completely deserving student athletes, how can that organization be really live, living up to its uh, stated charter? And that if it's not, then it doesn't deserve tax-exempt status. It'll be an interesting challenge because now I think the whole state of Pennsylvania, and when you're talking, the difference between, say, Penn State and USC, there are two senators and there are probably a dozen congressmen and a whole lot of people involved in, you know, in this election. Pennsylvania is a swing state. It's a battleground state. So there are some political implications about the NCA's conduct in the, in the Penn State case uh, in, in terms of just doing something just because they wanted to and making up the rules, not that Penn State didn't you know, participate in just beyond belief, uh, uh, you know, horrific uh, uh, you know, cover-up and, uh, you know, something that, that deserved every kind of, you know, uh, condemnation that, that somebody could give it, but was the NCAA, you know, in taking 20 scholarships away a year from kids that were in grade school or, you know, not even in grade school. Some of those kids were lucky. They were barely born by the time, you know, when they, uh, uh, Jerry Sandusky's, uh, you know, first, uh, you know, situation in 1998 was kind of, you know, not discovered in a way that it should have been. Uh, what, what, how is that benefiting uh, the welfare of student athletes uh, by doing what the NSA did to Penn State? It just seems like their whole penalty model is completely askew. That uh, penalize the innocent, uh, penalize the ones who weren't involved, penalize the weak guys that you know the students that don't have any representation. That uh, just doesn't seem right. All right, Dan. Well, we got to run. Uh, we're at okay. our limit for the show, but thanks again for sharing your insight. And uh, maybe it'll be another interesting week for USC football. <laughs> we'll see. Man, oh man! Man, you almost have to have a law degree and uh, three other degrees, I think, to cover uh, college sports at this level. USC is the trendsetter. I mean, they're involved in every discussion about college football these days. There's nothing that where they can talk about it that USC isn't a reference point of some sort. Yeah. All right. Well, Dan, thanks again. And everyone else, thank you very much for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.